FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 97 of the podcast that goes snicked. I'm your host, Jason. I wear whiny tidies under my armor, Venable. And I'm joined by Denise. Demon tail scarves are all the rage, Venable. Hell yeah. <laughs> we have a very special episode today. Special. Happy birthday Woo-hoo! to the podcast that goes snit. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear podcast that goes snicked. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> yes, this is our second anniversary show. And you look like, how does that go? What and ain't go? no party like a God who loves man kills party. Because a God who loves man kills party don't stop. Oh my goodness. Wicky wicky whack. <laughs> anyway, yes, we're doing a, um, a flashback episode. Flashback. Of the X-Men. Birthday flashback. <laughs> I remember when I was born. Oh, sorry, I'm high on sweet tea. I can't. <laughs> Lame. Hey, when you detox sugar out of your body and then you uh-huh. take a big gulp of it. Wee. Anyway, uh, we're going to do a very, speci- a very special flashback episode on the original graphic novel X-Men God Loves, Man Kills. Uh, generally thought to be one of the most important X-Men stories of all time, if not one of the most important comics of all time. And why is it considered one of the most important? Just because what it means to the X-Men and then also just kind of its theme and message, I think, are very important and very meaningful story. I think it really hits home for a lot of people. Okay. So, and this is your first time to read it, correct? It is. And I was a latecomer to it as well. Um, you know, there's a lot of similarities between this and X2. Yes. And so I checked it out from the library when X2 came out. I didn't actually have it until we got ready to do it for the podcast. But I read it back in college. Unlike most X-Men fans my age, I did not read it growing up. Yeah, so God Loves, Man Kills. This is written by Chris Claremont with art by Brent Anderson. Colors by Steve Olaf. Letters by Tom Orzakowski. On the cover by Brent Anderson, I my copy has X-Men on top and God Loves, Man Kills in very big, bold letters. And then we have a part of the original cover on a black background. The original cover actually had... Is the original cover in your copy? Yes. Oh, okay. So you actually had scenes from the comic and more art and extra (laughs) X-Men. Storm and Kitty did not make my uh, version. Kiss Kitty? Yes, Kiss Kitty. But basically we have Colossus, Wolverine, Cyclops, and Nightcrawler. I gotta say, I like the original cover. And there's something about just... The characters imposed on the all-black background, and then with the bold electric blue letters, it looks yeah. really cool. And if you want to see this particular version of the cover, um, you can look at, it's going to be my Twitter icon. Your avatar. Avatar, yes, that's what I'm looking for. For probably for a little while, at least a week or so. So um, you can check it out there, at Snickcast. Make sure you don't change your avatar 
before you put up this episode. No, I won't. I won't. I won't okay. until we get ready to put up the next episode. Okay. I usually change them right before I put up the episode. Well, look at you, Mr. All Marketing. Yeah, well, you yeah. know. I'm rubbing off on you. I guess so. Anyway, I won't lie. I'm a little bit, for the first time, intimidated to what? do a podcast on this episode. Why? Because I think it is so important to so many people. I'm afraid I won't. we won't be able to do it justice. Oh. But, you know. We Whatever. do our take on it, and people will either love us or hate us, and either way, it starts a conversation. So, we start off in Westport, Connecticut, and we have Mark and Jill running through the neighborhood and up to their school, and uh, Mark gets shot, and we find out uh, the assailants are the Purifiers. Which, that's a terrifying name. It is, because what are you purifying? Like, Right. <laughs> and what makes them appear, like, what makes them pure and I'm not? Right. So they say, don't cry, boy. I'm sending you to join your parents. And the boy's like, you killed them. And he gets really mad. And you can see, like, some power coming out of his eyes. And uh, then she shoots him. And then she shoots the girl, which is, I mean, right off the bat. We're That's not, how it starts. We're not in normal comic book land. No. At least not normal Marvel comic book land. Like we start off killing two kids, like just gunned down on a playground by these these purifiers, and then they kind of lynch them. They basically hang them up on the swing set with a sign that says "Mutie." Yeah, hung around at least Mark's neck. I don't. Yeah, it's around the little girl's neck too. Yes. Well, the color work is um, incredibly intense. Yes. During this scene. It looks like they're two African-American children. Right. And so that in general, just the idea of them hanging from a swing set and them being kids, like... Right. It's very evocative and very yes. powerful and not in a... Well, not in a pleasant way. Yes. Not, I was going to say not in a good way because it's bad, but it's creatively, creatively powerful. So, yeah. I mean, it's not... Anyway, you know you it, get what I'm saying. It evokes... It evokes certain, a lot of negative emotions. Yeah. And it invokes a lot of like sad emotions like very much really this is how far we've come as a society that we're like lynching little kids and hanging them from swing sets right and then magneto shows up and he says an execution not the first far from the last only this time the victims are children so he kind of plays our voice yeah in this scene and it's very touching the way he uh closes the kids eyes with his fingers yes well and he he doesn't want people to see them like this right and that's why he takes them down. And I'm assuming he's going to take off their sign. Well, he does. He's, he's grabbing it in his hand. Yeah. And he crumbles it up and basically says, they're going to pay. So we go to New York City. New York City. <laughs> Get a rope. <laughs> and we have an evangelist, William Stryker. Stryker. He's reading his Bible, taking verses out of context. <laughs> yes. We know what happens when you do that. <laughs> Nothing good. <laughs> Nothing so we're at the war, the world headquarters of the Striker Crusade. So he's got a pretty massive following. Yeah, he's one of those tele-evangelists. Yes. And basically, he is studying the X-Men. And we see Cyclops and Storm in a pretty cool panel of Wolverine. Looks like he's chopping up an engine block. <laughs> it does. And then Colossus lifting a uh, spaceship. And then uh, Kenny Pride. Going back to one of her original nickname ideas that the X-Men rejected, but now she's back to it. Uh-oh. Ariel. And she's a mermaid. Ah, ah. She is a, 
what is it? Kiss Army Mermaid. Yes, in a very horrible costume. In a string of horrible costumes, this may be one of Kitty's worst. But I will say, Kitty does do, she accomplishes something in this book. And what is that? She proves that you can have a horrible nickname and a stupid costume and still be a great character. Okay. You don't think she's a great character? Kitty's one of my favorite X-Men. No, I do like, I like Kitty now. I don't like this Kitty. It's hard for me to get past the kiss clown that she's portraying. Yes. A sci-fi kiss army costume. Yes. And then we also see Nightcrawler. So basically, uh, Stryker is studying the X-Men. They're going to figure out a way to kind of like end them. Purify them. Yeah. So we go to chapter one, and Kitty is beating up one of her uh, dance classmates. And apparently he is a follower of Stryker's teachings. Yes. He's been watching him on the TV. And um, basically he's a um, mutant racist. Yes. And Kitty takes a fist to that. And the art instructor, Stevie Hunter, tries to uh, calm her down. And Peter even shows up and says, hey, boy, you don't want to mess with her. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm a brick house. <laughs> and you're just a puny little man. I'm here to pop. You, you up. But then, whoa, inward. <laughs> I got to say, that kind of shocked me. I forgot all about that. A different time, but still. Yeah. It, it really, it actually at this point in my life, it kind of took me out of the story a little bit. How like so? I, I kind of had to like, you know, I was just like, whoa, whoa, you can't say that. Yeah. And then it kind of like, I had to like kind of step back and then go back into the plot. Like, it just it took me out a minute, like too much into real life. Like yeah. I, I fell out of the, the, the plot a little bit. That said, and not condoning the word at all, because I can't stand that word. No, and you shouldn't. But I felt like it was very powerful in this situation. It was, especially when, in the context in which... Yeah, all right, so basically, Stevie Hunter is trying to, trying to calm Kitty down. It says, hey, they're, they're just words. Right, um, just let them roll you know, off your back. For, forgive, you know, forget. forgive and forget. Yeah. You're, you're stronger than he is. You're a mutant. You have powers. Like, right. You can't take advantage. And she says, they're only words, child. And then Kitty says, suppose you call me an N-word lover, Stevie. Would you be so damn tolerant then? That's powerful. Well, it is powerful and it makes a good point. And when something hits home to you, right. persecuting you, it's a lot harder to turn the other cheek than, than even if you agree to stand up for somebody, like when it's your own person that's being attacked, it's harder to be calm and forgiving. It's true, and I've had a lot of conversations with people that are very, um, they feel a certain way about someone's lifestyle. And I, I always tell them, you feel that way because you've never had someone that you love or you care about in that situation. Yeah, and so, sometimes. Some people... Cast out the people they love because of certain choices. Yes, and that infuriates me. It does. Because I thoroughly believe that you you should love everyone. And anyway, I just feel like you should love everyone and 
I don't know where I'm going with this, so you can just edit that out. No, no, I, I agree with you completely. We'll talk more about that at the end and okay. what, what this book still means. But I guess to drive the point home, I feel like we're both pretty... I hate to use the word progressive because I feel like everybody should have progressed to this point by now. <laughs> right. But, we shouldn't be the minority. But, but I, I don't think we're the minority. I think there's more people like this than the vocal minority likes to pretend. But But to drive the point home, there are... I kind of want to stand up for everybody, and there are right. things that people say that bother me, but there are people in my immediate family that when things are said about them, it goes beyond bothering me to make me want to fight. Right. Like, there's things that I'll argue about, and I'll say, you're wrong, you're stupid, you're ignorant, but when you say it about someone who I love dearly, then it moves beyond you being an idiot to you being almost my enemy. Yes. And, and in the spirit of love, I have to fight that, and control it and focus it into something positive, but it's still my first reaction to just be angry. Right. And not wanting to love them back, even though I should. Even in the wrongness, we should still... We should still love. We should still put forward yeah. love and positivity and try to, I don't know, open people's minds without being angry well, or violent. Well, and that's the thing is closed-minded people feed on your own anger. Right. And they use it as a way of proving their own points sometimes. Right, at least to themselves anyway. Right. Yeah. And that and that's why I think, you know, when when you open yourself up to love and when you even though someone might drive you crazy and, and tick you off, if you can still keep yourself open to loving them, it hopefully one day will show them that maybe, just maybe Yeah, you never know. And I think Maybe, maybe we're reading too much into this from our own worldview. <laughs> Everyone on the other side is like, yeah. what the no. hell happened in their family? <laughs> but I think that's kind of the vibe that Stevie's going for. Right. And Kitty's just not ready to be there yet. Right. And great. And she's a 14-year-old kid. Right. So, so she's not quite ready to process the maturity that Stevie has. But while why I do agree with Stevie... I also think Kitty has a great point. She does. And while the word kind of took me out of the story, I think it's a very powerful... Because I don't think she's not using it derogatively. No. She's saying it would really bother you if someone did this. Right. She's not using it towards anyone. No, no. She's she's just making a point. Had this word come out of his mouth, it would have pissed you off. I'd be trying to calm you down. Right. (laughs) And so just kind of the personal... And when... Kitty and Colossus and Magic leave, or I guess at this point she's just Ileana. Stevie recognizes that. And in a very powerful scene again, he's like, you know, Kitty's, I have to be the adult, but deep down, Kitty's right. And yeah. bought, and she like, Tears has up. a little tear and she makes a fist, like kind of lets her anger out. And then we see uh, some purifiers and an unmarked, actually it is, it's, it's marked. marked from the top. <laughs> yeah, on the top it has a big 5-4. Uh, they're going to follow the X-Men home. All right, so then we go to uh, the X-Mansion, and we see Wolverine. He definitely has a cigar in this one, the Brent Anderson cigar. So Kitty calls out Wolverine, because Kitty comes home, and she's all agitated. Well, here, let's let's do a dramatic. It's time for a dramatic reading. Kitty's got a black guy, right? Yes, all right. Okay, so where are we starting? Right here. That's some shiner you're sporting, pumpkin. Scrap or accident? Scrap. Fair fight? I guess so. You win? No. How come? I guess I don't have your killer instincts, Wolverine. That all there is to it? I wasn't fighting an evil mutant 
or a supervillain or a murder machine, Logan. It was just a kid with a big mouth. It was no big deal. I'm going to wash up and change my clothes. I won't be long. <laughs> and scene. Yeah, but Kitty pretty much calls, she calls out Wolverine, like, says, I'm not a killing machine like you. Yeah. And she goes up the stair rail. She walks through it. In a very bizarre panel. Yeah, it, it looks like she has a tail. It looks like she has a tail or that she's, like, grinding up the rail. <laughs> it's weird. I, I get that they want to show her power, but it is maybe, maybe in a different way. That's not so bizarrely sexual. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so the news is on, and there's a big special on Nightline when Professor X is going to square off against William Stryker about the mutant issue. And I actually like that they used a real show. Yes. Instead of like, you know, the New York talk-off or right. whatever. It just, it added an extra level of reality to it. So anyway, Stryker espouses his view that he's a man of God, and that humans are God's chosen creation, and that mutants are an aberration and basically ungodly and children of the devil, for lack of a better term. Professor X is like, I know we're all humans and we got to learn to uh, coexist. Pretty sure Professor X has whatever the mutant version of the coexist bumper sticker is. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I like the, how Wolverine picks up on the nuances of the argument because he says, take Stryker's remark about mutants not being human to us ultimate and we've no rights under the law. Right. And basically says, if you, if you declare us not human, then, then you can do whatever you want to us. We can be your slaves. You can sell us. Right? You can trade us. You can do whatever. Which is very evocative of, again, and unfortunately, this is still very aff- applicable yes. to today as far as people trying to dehumanize certain groups. Yes. And basically deny them basic rights in some cases. Yeah. But um, so the X-Men are all mad and they're all worried about what this kind of means because Stryker is a very charismatic dude. And I like that Claremont made that choice. Yeah. And he made this someone who can win over the masses even though he's wrong. <laughs> well, and there are people out there that are very charismatic yes. that, you know, can talk and people just absorb everything they say and never realize that they're talking in circles or what they're saying makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Right. But it's just their tone and they say certain words the right way and put them together the right way that just right. seems so smart and intelligent. Yeah, he's right. Well, and you, you pr- Whenever you want to build up a propaganda of hatred, you prey on people's fears. Yes. I, I thought it was interesting. There was an article the other day. Um, I guess the Klan, the KKK. White sheets. Yes. They have, I guess, two or three, I didn't know this, two or three times a year, like a, a, a Klan night, like a, almost like a, like a family night or whatever. And they go around certain neighborhoods and like and they peacefully... Supposedly, which, you know, for the most part, they hand out their propaganda and their materials. And I was reading this article, one of the things that they're focusing on this year, instead of just their blatant racism, <laughs> is talking about, like, immigration and security of the border and stuff like that. And basically, and I'm not, there's different views you can have on what our national security can be and citizenship and all that. Right. That aside xenophobia is still wrong 
Right. And we argue how to kind of adjust to it. But to hate a certain group is wrong. And it just, but it's, but to gain support for a, um, Their cause. a ministry of hatred, so to speak, right. or a group of hatred, you prey on, on people's fears. And so one of the big fears right now, particularly in some of the southern states of America where we live, right. where we're on close to the border or in proximity to it, is a fear of immigration or, if nothing else, some of the violence down by the border. Right. And so if you want someone to kind of come along to your side, it's easy to say, well, we need to stand up and protect ourselves from these people, these right. quote-unquote people. You know, it's just, it's, it's, that's what Stryker's doing. He's preying on, on people's fear. These mutants are powerful. We don't understand their powers. They, right. They can some, take us out at any moment. They can't, and some of them have. And there's right. been, like, mutant attacks, and we can't stop them. So we have to stand up, and he, he preys on that fear that some people in the in the Marvel Universe, because we don't have mutants for real, right. um, but that they would have. And that's kind of how you build a following when your message is that of hatred and insecurity. But basically, uh, so Storm... And Cyclops are there with Professor X. Anyway, so, so the feeling by the X-Men and most people is that Professor X, even though he's right, kind of got whooped on TV. Yeah. Like he was kind of timid and scholarly and I guess not very impassioned. And whereas Stryker was very passionate, very bold, very charismatic and kind of won the interview. So just, I do like though that there's a t- one of the TV engineers... It's like, dude, that striker guy is kind of scary. And I thought it was an interesting point by Claremont to say this isn't just mutants against humans. Right. Like, there are humans that understand this is wrong, too. Right. Which, you know. In reality. Yeah, that would happen. All right, so then we go to a danger room training session. The Uh, X-Men have to blow off some steam after watching it. Yeah, they're all pissed, and they got to go sweat it out. So I like they all have to... uh, Fight their own little thing and then save a mannequin family from certain destruction. Yes. I like how Wolverine is in a cage. He's picking a lock with his claw, but he sticks his tongue out while he's concentrating. I did like that. That was a nice touch. Yeah, but then basically the X-Men decide, oh, wait, this is stupid. We should take on each other's... um, We should help each other. ...obstacles. Right. And then we'll save the family, which they don't. (laughs) No. So the, the purifiers attack Professor X's car as they're leaving. And I thought this frameless car crash yes. was amazing. It yeah. looked really cool. It was amazing. I like how Scott's optic blast like shoots through. Yeah, it shoots the door off. Yeah. It's really awesome. It's great. It's just a great sequence. And the way just the, the action flows down the page kind of makes a curve. Yep. It's really fantastic. Yeah, so then they shoot at Cyclops and, and Professor X and Storm. And then they blow up the car. And uh, we see uh, Stryker's assistant. Uh, what's her, her name is eluding me at the second. Brain fart. Didn't they start with an A? Am I making that up? Anne. Anne. I knew it yes. with an A. Anne. All right. Can't believe I forgot that. Anyway, uh, she basically says that, you know, they'll never be discovered. So then uh, Wolverine gets the high score in the danger room. Nice, Wolverine. So he gets to enter his initials on the on the console. Nice. Did he set up bad initials? Yeah, he got a 99. He picked a lock with his middle claw. Everybody scored pretty high. The lowest grade was 96.8. 
but Wolverine got the high score, 99. And he chops the head off a mannequin and says, we're not playing games. And then, um... They get a phone call. Nightcrawler gets a phone call. The phone call. Professor X and Storm and Cyclops are dead. They've been in a terrible, horrible car accident. And um, I really like this panel when Wolverine comes back and he's standing in the doorway and the, and the light coming through in the dark room and his shadow. It's just all, all a great panel. All right, so then we go to chapter two the next day and Kitty's distressed and she's with Ileana and they're, they're fighting and they kind of cheer each other up in a way. And then Kitty finds this machine and she uh, phases through it so it'll break. And they're going to wait for someone to come repair it. Then we get a really cool uh, scene where Wolverine determines the car crash is fake. The bodies are not their friends. Yeah, he can smell them. Yeah, he can smell and sense. and Even through the burning and the... Yep. He admits also to having faked such accidents before in his previous um, life. Hmm... So we get some more clues to kind of his government espionage work. So that's yes. pretty pretty sweet. But he says, yeah, I can read all the signs. Uh, this is this is made to look as if they died, but they didn't. At least not here. Right. So they're dead. They're they're dead somewhere else. So and then they they uh, they spot the car that's kind of trailing them, and they attack it. And Wolverine slicing through the car door is awesome. It is awesome. Although I don't think he would slice through glass. Think it would break. I think it would break. His claws are razor sharp, though. I think it might break afterwards. Um, and then uh, Colossus smashing the car, uh, almost Superman style from Action Comics number one, very reminiscent of that. And he just smashes the hood in and tears out the the engine block. It's great. It's an awesome little sequence too. And then uh, Magneto shows up as an ally. And he, the purifiers, after they take the car out, their uh, armored soldiers show up. Uh, uh-oh, though. Metal. Mm. Uh, and, you know, strips their uniforms off, exposing their whitey-tidies, and then basically wraps them up in a metal cocoons. Stryker, you need to do, your, do a little more research before you send yep. somebody out. And he tells Wolverine to sheath his claws, and he's here as a friend, and if you'll have me, an ally. So then Kitty's stakeout works. She phases into the ground. She's going to come back up. But they find Ileana and they shoot at her. So Kitty comes back and... Um, Is Kitty in a tree? Yeah, she phases up into a tree. And she's watching them. And she, she's kind of walking on air, which she can do. And then she uh, decides she's going to... They take Ileana and drive off. And she phases into the trunk of the car. But she trips off an alarm. There's Which a mutant alarm. It's just a, an intruder alarm. Oh, but Anna knows that it must be Kitty, right? Like, she yes. knows it's a mutant. Well, yeah, because she, she knows there were two of them somehow. Oh, okay. I'm not really sure how she knew that, to, to be honest. But she decides to dose the trunk with nerve gas. And so they drive off as the X-Men arrive, like ships passing in the night. And then we get a good Wolverine first, an awesome Wolverine first, We've known that he can pop different claws at different times, but this one come back. This one's awesome. And they're interrogating the uh, purifiers, and he puts his fist under the guy's chin, and he wants information. And he goes, see these? 
Remember what they did to your car? That's one snicked. And he pulls his outside claw on the guy's fa- on the side of the guy's face. That's two snicked. The other claw, and the middle one's still in, but it's right under where his chin is. Right. And if he pops in, it's going right through his face. He's like, want to go for three? Yeah. Awesome. 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 And he's like, okay, hero, your choice. But Magneto stops him. And Wolverine says, your choice, your funeral. And Magneto is the rational one. He suggests an alternative. And uh, basically, metal tortures the guy. What is he doing to him? I don't really know. He's basically like... Like, what's up with his fingers? I don't know what's going on with his fingers. I mean, he's attacking him with, like, prodding him with metal. I don't know, but it looks horrifying. (laughs) (laughs) And Colossus is like, is this necessary? Wolverine's like, yep. <laughs> and Nightcrawler brings up the old, um, the old question: If we resort to their methods, are we any better than they are? Which is a good point. Uh, a point that we're still dealing with in today's world, with yeah. all the um, CIA torture scandal we have right now. Yep. Um, regardless of which side you're on, I think it's definitely it's at least a question we need to ask. Whether you completely disagree with it or agree with it. If you're not at least asking the question, then I don't think you have a soul. <laughs> yeah. Well, it kind of goes back to the age old, do you do what's right or do you do what's easy? But the idea of if we in- endorse their methods, any of their methods, are we really just terrorists as well? Right. Even if you decide we're not, if you don't at least wrestle with a question, then I think you're probably evil. <laughs> if you just get off on it, then... <laughs> You may want to start seeing a shrink. Yes, and find a different job. Oh, so then we go, we get a New York skyline in red, a very ominous red. Um, Made the more ominous, I think you vocalized this to me already, and I already thought about it. See, we have a focus on the Twin Towers. Yes. Which, you know, as Americans, still kind of evokes... There's an emotion with it. Yeah, and especially in this very gloom and doom panel with the red lighting. Yes. All right, so we get our uh, our brainwashing of Professor X. So Stryker's plan, he's going to brainwash Professor X and get him on his side, and he'll reveal why in a little bit. But basically, he uh, in Professor X's mind and creating this scenario where he's being crucified. His X-Men. Yeah, while he's on the crucifix, there's demonic X-Men, like, ripping at him and, and binding at him. And, and basically, like, when you, you know, when you hear in the Bible, uh, weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, he, yeah. he's pretty much living it out. Yeah. Wolverine's taking a piece out of him. Kitty phases his heart out. Yeah. That's very gruesome. And then Storm shoots him with lightning, barbecues him on the cross. Yeah. And, and then last but not least, Cyclops, his best student, attacks him as well. And Professor X, is, he's trying to fight it. He has doubts it's real. And we've seen that he's in like this stasis tube and like yeah. a virtual reality kind of thing. And that's how they're trying to brainwash him. We see that Storm and uh, Cyclops are also alive. And then we get uh, Stryker's origin story. And I like how it's all like in sepia tone. Yeah, I thought that was a nice touch. Uh, so basically, Stryker was in the military. He was a good soldier, uh, but I guess at one point he was exposed to nuclear testing. 
okay. for nuclear mi- missiles. So this kind of plays on the old original origin of mutants in the Marvel Universe. People were exposed to radiation and then their kids were born mutants. Yeah, that's Professor X's story of his dad uh, and the Beast dad for sure and possibly some others as well. But so he has a child with his wife and they get in a car wreck and he has to deliver the baby um, early but he sees it was a monster. And they don't explain how it was a monster. Well, it probably looked weird like Nightcrawler or... Yeah. Maybe a little alligator or something. I don't know. Actually, well, there's a really bad retcon that will come out of this, and the kid doesn't look that weird. So I, that's why I don't like <laughs> when, How he when he's this. reintroduced later. No, I like this. Oh, this okay. makes sense. Anyway, uh, so he kills his baby and his wife. Well, he kills the baby because he, he says he's, he knew he had to do it. Yes, it's an abomination. He can't deal with it. And then when his wife asked to hold the baby. Yeah, he basically says, oh, I'm sorry. And breaks her neck. Yeah. (laughs) And then he blew up the car, intending to kill himself, but somehow survived. And that's when he decided God had a plan for him. Yep. And his plan, he had been exposed firsthand to the horror that is mutants. And his God, he's an instrument of God to purify the, the world of, of all the, the mutants. And so Cyclops says, how did you learn the X-Men? And we get another. One thing uh, Claremont really does in this story is makes a lot of callbacks to the X-Men before his time. Right. Like the original run back in the 60s. And he talks about Agent Duncan. Because back when the X-Men very first started, Professor X had a government liaison that would basically feed him information so the X-Men could go do stuff. And uh, so Stryker says he got to Duncan and his files, and there's really quite a bit of a wealth of information about Professor X and the X-Men in his school in those files. And so Storm gets really mad because um, she overhears a phone call and calls and says she has Ileana and Kitty. And Storm's like, she's just a girl. And um, their powers are being dampened, but even in spite of that... she's She can... She generates a giant lightning bolt over New York. I really like because it's a very photorealistic photo. And then the lightning's kind of painted on top. It looks really, really cool. It does look really, really cool. Uh, So even the purifiers kind of comment like, whoa, some storm coming. Yeah. But somehow Kitty phases out of the trunk. Well, they stop. Yeah, they they stop to get Ileana out. The trunk. Yeah. And I like how before they shoot it, they stick the Muni like license plate on the on the car. Yeah. Because you know, even though no one's here to see it, we, we need we need the little signs so we know we're doing the right thing. Yeah. So my only question though, because Kitty says that she first started to sense the gas and she phased, so she wouldn't breathe it in. But if she phased, wouldn't she have fallen out of the car? Yes. But the only problem I had with that was. Earlier in the comic, she phases into the ground, and she had to hold her breath. So... Did she? Did they say that? I think so. I think they make a point of... Oh, well, it does say she takes a deep breath. Yes. Yeah, so it's like she has to hold her breath because she can't breathe when she phases. Right. So, oh, no, she can't breathe underground, and there's no air. Oh, and I just had flaws with that one. Yeah, anyway, but they, sh- they shoot up the trunk. 
gangland style and they open it up and nobody's in there so they're going to find her. And Kitty runs into a gang who decide they're going to gangbang her maybe? But it's a nice 80s gang where everyone has uh, no shirts and vest and nice bandanas and jewelry. Um, but Anne says, you know what? This one's mine. And they're like, you're in our neighborhood, bitch. Uh, so some nice misogynistic gangsters. Yes. <laughs> um, but Anne takes them out. Uh, she does get shot, but it's just a, it's just a flesh wound. But Kitty phases into the uh, subway and then comes up and phases... She wants to use a payphone, but she has no quarters. So she phases into the coin bank, pulls some quarters out, and tries to call the uh, X-Mansion. And then someone blows up the phone booth. And she phases just at the right time so she doesn't get blown up. Yes. She has an uncanny spider sense. Yes. Then she goes into the subway, and everybody kind of freaks out. But the cop sympathizes. Yeah, he's like... So again, more sympathetic humans to the mutant cause. And for his sympathy, he gets murdered by the purifiers. So then they're on the train, and then Magneto pulls the whole train up into the sky, and uh, basically pulls the purifiers, breaks their gun. Colossus basically breaks a guy's arm. That that was pretty cool. And is that Magneto tearing the gun apart, or is that Wolverine slicing and dicing the gun? Let me just see what That's aligns. Wolverine yeah, it's got to be right. Yeah, so we see Wolverine backhanding a purifier. Colossus literally rips the guy out of his uniform. Magneto saves a cop. He's, he's being a hero in this, this issue. And he pulls a bullet out. And then in this scene, I'm really confused. Is that a purifier? Because they're all wearing these green uniforms. Yeah, I had the exact same yeah. confusion. And he's like, oh, we got to help the cop. But they shot the cop. And he wouldn't help the X-Men regardless. Right. right. So maybe it's miscolored and it's just a guy on the train. I couldn't figure out who this guy is. But he looks like a purifier. Yeah, he does. Maybe he had to change of heart. I don't know. Well, he looks like this guy. Yes, he does, without his hat. Yeah. Who kind of look like um, the Imperial officers of Star Wars, but in green. Anyway, Magneto makes a flying carpet out of the roof of the uh, subway train. I really like that. Actually, it's an L train. Are there L trains in New York? Because L is short for elevated. Yes. There are? Okay. Yeah. I, are there L trains and subways? Yeah. Okay. Because I know the L in Chicago, but I've never ridden the L in New York. I've only ridden the subway. Yeah. I rode it once. From what I was well, told. Well, it's spray painted, so it must be in the bad well, part of town. I was going to say, yeah. I was told that you get on and you just ride the loop and you get off. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Don't get off anywhere else. So anyway, Professor X is being greeted in his mind-washing by Stryker, who says, I will save you from your mutants. If you believe. And Professor X, of course, believes in his new savior, William Stryker. So then Professor X mind-blasts Cyclops and Storm to death. So then Kitty phases and takes Stryker out of the car. Or is that Stryker's dude? Oh, yeah, yeah, the doctor. Yeah. So they're going to interrogate him, and basically Nightcrawler wraps him around the neck with his tail. And Nightcrawler's hanging upside down from the wall and uh, growling in the guy's face. And just be, he's taking advantage of his uh, demonic vis- visage. And then he uh, smiles <laughs> evilly at the guy and says his patience is wearing thin. But they get the information. They go to the building. Oh, I wanted to point out, too, that um, making Professor X is a... Kind of the mutant messianic figure. 
kind of ties into the whole religious theme of the strikers and the yes. purifiers as well. Also, uh, when Kitty's on the payphone, she says, poop on you, Logan. <laughs> Didn't we have a whole conversation about Kitty and her phasing poop? <laughs> yes. And then she refers to Southwestern Bell as Ma Bell, which made me think of the Beastie Boys. Like, Ma Bell got the ill communication. Ma Bell got the ill communication. Oh, my goodness. So anyway, back to our story. <laughs> so we see the uh, purifiers are going to dump the bodies of Storm and Cyclops. But they're ele- they get in the elevator, and the elevator don't stop. Uh-oh. It's going and going and going, and the elevator car is pulled through the roof by Magneto, but Anne jumps out. She is uh, a smart cookie. And um, basically they find out, the X-Men find out, that uh, Cyclops and Ileana and Storm are all alive. And Magneto, which I didn't know he had this power, uses his magnetic powers to give them an electric jolt. So he's kind of like a defibrillator. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I didn't know he could do that. I guess mag- It makes sense. Is magnetism and electricity that tied together? I don't know. It's, I don't know. Someone asked Bill Nye the science guy. Because <laughs> I don't know. So, chapter four. Stryker's going to have this giant conference. And basically what he's going to do is Professor X is going to use uh, basically an amplified fake Cerebro. And he's going to go out and find all the mutant minds and consciousness and, and kill them and just basically switch throw the switch and turn them off which is what striker's main plot is in x2 yes he, he uses his son in that case right to trick professor x into locating mutants but as he locates them he kills them yes uh, snuffs out their light in cerebro so that's his plan and then we have an interesting, the security guards are kind of debating among themselves whether Stryker's batshit crazy or not. Right. Which I find it interesting because they're there to protect him from the massive crowd that's cheering him on. And they're right. like, I don't know if we should trust this guy. Right. He said, one of the cops says, the crowd's eating it up. But I don't know, partner. That preacher scares me. And so he gives a sermon about the X-Men being monsters and turns on his little machine, and, and it works. Uh, there's a mutant in a Star Wars shirt, and he doubles over, and the X-Men also double over in pain. Yep. Then uh, Magneto comes through the roof of Madison Square Garden, which is where the rally's being held. Which I find incredibly similar to the recent X-Men movie. Yes, where Magneto pulls the stadium around the White House. Yeah. yeah. Another callback in film. So Stryker has Professor X mind blast Magneto and shoots him across. And we have a senator in the crowd. And he's like, oh, I don't know. I don't, I don't, me and the president, we don't trust this guy, but I, I got to hear him out so he doesn't say. Right. And then he starts getting a headache. So I guess mm. we're inferring that the senator is a mutant. Well, but see, what we should also say is that this machine that Xavier is hooked up to, it not only takes out current mutants, it takes out anyone with a mutant gene. Yes, like a latent mutant or someone that could have a mutant offspring. Right. So for all we know, the senator, he may not be a mutant, but he would have a mutant child. Right. Which, like I said during the Days of Future Past episode, everyone is capable of having a mutant because if you sleep with a mutant... (laughs) Right. 
There you go. Anyway, he decides this is way too dangerous, and then he gets a headache. And then the uh, security guards are, like, trying to calm the crowd down, and the X-Men attack Stryker's forces. And then we find out one of the big twists of the book, Anne gets a nosebleed. Uh-oh. And turns out she's a mutant. We're going to have a mutant kiddo. And then Stryker condemns her. She says, but all the service, I've, I've done your work. I've worked the Lord's work too. And Stryker's like, not anymore. You're an abomination. And he throws her off the podium and she breaks her neck and dies. I actually, not that it, I love her death scene, but I love how it's drawn. It's great because you have basically a series of TV panels. Yeah, like the, t- the TV monitors were following her. Yeah, which is like, you get the sense of like, you see that movies all the time where something bad happens on TV and you get like the viewer right. response to like, oh, they get it. Yeah. <laughs> this was caught on camera. Now we see how evil he is. And this is kind of that same thing. And it ends, because it's cool because you see the action with a series of overlapping monitors. Then you have the final panel that is, the panel is a monitor. You right. see your broken neck. Um, then the security guards are telling the people to stand back. And basically, they pull their guns and say, whoa, whoa, uh, you guys aren't going to, we're not going to have a riot here. Right. And the, the producer says, we have to evacuate the building, but don't don't turn off the camera. Yeah, leave it on. <laughs> Anyone right. who wants to stay, awesome. And so the X-Men develop a plan. Nightcrawler teleports Wolverine over to Professor X, and he's snicked. And he's going to stab him, but as Professor X move, dodges the snicked, Cyclops is bouncing eye beam all around the studio and it knocks Professor X out. Teamwork. Yep. So Wolverine was just a diversion, but he says, you realize if your plan hadn't worked, I was really going to kill him. And Cyclops is like, well, that's why I'm the best shot. (laughs) (laughs) Then we get an awesome, awesome panel of Cyclops' optic blast as he sweeps the room and we see him make like a, like Brent Anderson draws his blast in like a circle. Yeah. It's really, really cool. It is really You see, like, the whole trail of it is is great. Well, and I love the broken pieces along the way. Yeah, it's just, it's a fantastic panel. So he destroys Stryker's machine. So now they just got to figure out what to do with Professor X. And Cyclops basically says, and we're not running. We may have broke the machine, but we're not done with Stryker. And uh, Wolverine's like, sounds good to me. And all the X-Men say, all right, let's do it. And so they take Professor X to safety, and then they confront Stryker. And Cyclops gives his little rebuttal. He says, you've been making some pretty extreme charges against us. We figured we'd claim equal time to answer them. You don't mind, do you? Your toys are broken, Reverend. Your goons are beaten. It's just your word against ours. And he's like, all right, bring it. (laughs) He goes, you're a lucky man. Thanks to you and people like you, mutants live in fear every day of our lives. And sometimes... Those lives are very short. Less than a week ago, two children in Connecticut were murdered, Stryker, condemned solely for an accident of birth. Would you do that to someone because of the color of their skin or their beliefs? And Stryker says, not me, it's God. (laughs) And he makes an interesting point for his side. It's wrong, but it's interesting. He says, whatever a man's color or beliefs, he's still a human, but mutants are not. But Cyclops, of course, argues, says who? You? What makes you think you're linked with heaven any stronger than mine? We have unique gifts, but no more so and no more special than those granted a physician or a physicist or philosopher or athlete. Because, you know, LeBron James is definitely a mutant. Right. Um, It can be due to an accident of nature or divine providence. Who's to say? 
Our arbitrary label is more important than the way we live our lives. What we're supposed to be more important than what we actually are. For all you know, we can be the real human race and the rest of you mutants. And then in one of the iconic panels of the book. I love this. Striker points to Nightcrawler, who lost his tail. Oh. And it says, human, you dare call that thing human? In a very interesting panel, Nightcrawler is all like. He's very Quasimodo. Yeah, he's always doing his thriller dance. Yeah. Um, thriller. And he's thriller. like, that's not a human. And Kitty says, more human than you. Rob Zombie says, more human than human. And then she says, the Nightcrawler's personality, his generous, kind, decent. He had every reason to be bitter and hate you and kill you, but he's not. He may look like a demon, but inside he's an angel. Um, He's learned to have joy and peace. And I hope I can be half the person that he can be. If I have to choose between caring for my friend or believing in your God, then I choose my friend. And he's like, blasphemy, and he points his gun at Kitty. And all the X-Men just kind of stare at him, and Stryker hesitates. Now, before we move forward, I find Kitty's verbiage here interesting. Because she says, if I have to choose between your God. Well, yes, because Kitty's Jewish. Yes. So she believes in God. And we're going to talk more about that, too, because Nightcrawler okay. is, is devout Christian as well. Right. And so... There's definitely the idea of falsely using God to be on your side when yes. you're doing something very ungodly. Yeah. <laughs> but in a turn of events, Stryker hesitates as he really wants to shoot a girl on national TV. Right. A teenager. Who's part of the Kiss Army Nation. And then we get a very interesting scene in the comic because we see the cock of a gun. Right. And a big blam. And then we see Stryker standing there. And then he kind of drops his gun and we see a blood spot. On his chest. Yes. We find out that the security guard shot Stryker basically because he's not going to let him execute a teenage girl. Right. uh, Regardless of his beliefs. And um, he basically tells the crowd, um, you know what? The X-Men are in the right. And as far as I'm concerned, they're free to go. So our epilogue is um, the X-Men at the school and kind of a standoff between Professor X and Magneto. A peaceful one, but a standoff nonetheless. And Nino says, does this finally show you that I was right? And Professor X is like, well... Uh, kind of. Kind of, <laughs> but and he reaches out. And they, they kind of caress each other's fingertips. They do the uh, Michelangelo's yes. God and Adam. And then Professor X pulls back, says he can't do it. If anything, this has shown him that mutants need his help. And he has to be here for his students and his X-Men. And they ask Magneto to join the X-Men. He says, I cannot. I don't believe in this vision. He goes, I hope you guys are right. But when it turns out that you're not, it'll be my turn. And he flies off into the moon. And then we have our kind of anticlimactic ending. Storm talks about how Cyclops had the perfect words. They say all they all you need is love. All you need is love. So, all right, let's talk about the book first. And then we'll talk about some other things. Okay. As usual, I'll ask you, what did you think of the art? How did the book look? I thought the art was phenomenal. I love the color work on it. The only complaints I had, which I get it, it's that time period's time for Kitty to look the way she did. I don't blame Brent Anderson for that because I don't think he designed the costume. Yeah. So that was the only thing that bugged the the you-know-what out of me. Yes, it's pretty horrible. She looked like a cross between Kiss Army Nation and a clown. 
Yeah, with a little bit of Buck Rogers thrown in. Yeah, it just, ugh. That was the yeah. only thing that bugged me because I couldn't take her seriously. <laughs> when she was dressed up that way, I was like, did she really take the time to like paint the green diamonds on her eyes? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's her Dazzler fan club oh eye patches. Yeah. But otherwise, I thought the colors were awesome. I thought the artwork was great. I think the range of emotions inside the characters was awesome. Yeah, the color helped a lot. And I liked kind of the painterly feel to the art and the colors. And they actually, did you read any of the interviews or anything at the end? No, because I didn't want to be swayed okay. one way or another. Well, if you want to read it later, you can. There's actually a part where they talk very technically about how they oh, okay. brought it together visually. I didn't really understand it. They talked about the way they shifted plates and did things out of order to make it look more painted. Anyway, yes, I thought it was a very striking look to the book. Uh, very different from what we normally get in X-Men comics. X-Men at this time is very uh, classic comic book looking. And this is more, of course, all, and we, I won't say all, I've only, we've only covered two on the podcast, and that's the only two I've read. But both the graphic novels we've covered, or the original graphic novels from the 80s that we covered, have had this kind of look, uh, this kind of gritty and realistic but still comic-y, at least in an 80s way, more adult. In fact, we'll have a comment about that later. But yeah, I just I thought it was very striking. Uh, what do you think of the story? I love the story. I think what I thoroughly loved about this story is you can insert this into any decade. Any time period. Yeah. Any marginalized group. I think this is the story. I think this is kind of the, the thesis of the X-Men. Yeah. Whether Claremont meant for it to be or not, and I think he on some level did. I think he'd be maybe a little too humble to say that he meant to write the X-Men Bible. But he kind of did, because this basically cements very strongly the association with the X-Men in any marginalized group of society. Well, And you can plug in any group. Yeah, after I had read this, my one of one of the very first thoughts I had was, I want Ethan to read this. Yes, not yet. Not yet, <laughs> but I want him to read it. I think it's a way of explaining to our children, like, you you cannot judge a certain group of people because they're different than you. Right. Like, Nor should you judge a whole group of people at all. Right. I mean, he... That everybody is different and unique. He thinks it's funny that I'm left-handed and you right. you and he are right-handed. Right. And he just, mommy writes with her wrong hand. <laughs> That's okay. I'm sure Max is left-handed. Oh, okay. I got the dog on my side. He's left-pawed. He's left-pawed. Yes. But I, I, I think that as a kid, you know, 13, 14, maybe even a little bit older, but I think Every kid should read this. I think 11 or 12 is probably yeah. a perfect age to read this. I will say this story and those like it that kind of came after it, after this was kind of set up as the X-Men's MO. Now, I talk about this a lot. The comics, X-Men in particular, were very influential on my worldview. One of being open to different cultures and lifestyles and things right. because the x-men always talked about that they're always persecuted for being different and always fighting for tolerance and more than tolerance acceptance right there's one thing to say well i tolerate your life your right to be alive it's right. another thing to actually like Accept embrace people's and differences embrace and and want to love them for those differences and so this book is very formative to the way i view the world and life and you know, it hits me on a spiritual level. I, I'm a pretty spiritual person, and just, I don't know, just the way 
even in the title where it says God loves man kills, um, I don't know, it just it's a very poignant story, poignant title, and it's just it's super emotional. And it's not too It's not in your face Bible thumping. No <laughs> it's funny you say Bible thumping with striker. Um <laughs> Yeah, but it's 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 not like super subtle. Like it's definitely a very clear message, but it's not abrasive. And it's not like, oh, you know, it's not preachy. I guess that's what I would say. Well, one of the things I found was in the first couple of pages in the beginning, you know, you see Stryker and he's reading his Bible and he closes it and the Bible's black, but the words Holy Bible are red. And so I, when I first saw that, I thought, hmm, that's foreshadowing. Normally the words in your Bible are gold or they're silver or, you know, right. red is not. I didn't think I caught that. It's right. Yeah, no, I I see it. They're red, and so... Very evil looking. It is very (laughs) evil looking. It's an evil Bible. It was one of those things that it was like, well, that's foreshadowing. And then when Kitty says, you know, if I have to believe in believing in my friend or your God, and I thought, well, that ties it all together. Like, the Bible in and of itself is a powerful tool that in the wrong hands can be twisted and formed to pretty much make you think you're right and we still see this today and i i think it's interesting to point out did you find this book to be anti-religious the only part that i thought was slightly anti-religious was when kitty said if i have to believe in my friend or your god but i didn't find that anti-religious at all well no but i could see where someone would oh okay i mean i think painting a religious person as a villain see i didn't i didn't think it came off though as saying that he was wrong for believing in god he was wrong for misusing his faith and abusing his beliefs. Well, I think what she was trying to say and is you, because, you made an abomination of what right. God is. You've you created him into something that he's not. Right. And so if I have to believe in your version, no thank you. Right. Well, and I think I think what it shows is and this can be applied to any belief system. I won't say downright evil. I think I think it points to the danger of fundamentalism. In any system. Yeah. Whether it be fundamentalist Christianity, extreme fundamentalist Islam, even, it's funny on Twitter sometimes the amount, I, I never really knew until a few years ago such a thing existed, but like fundamentalist atheist, actually just as preachy as any Christian I know, yes. or any other religion that I know about, they're just adamant atheism. And you know what? Everyone should believe what they want to believe. You should be open to other people's beliefs. And any time you use religion as a tool of hatred or oppression, A, I think at the truth of every religion, at the core of it, you're betraying it. Yes. Because I think, as far as I know, from my experience, at the core of every religion is usually either love or peace right? or, or trying to make the world better. I mean, there's not... Helping many, your fellow many, man. There's not many belief systems that actively seek out to destroy the earth. No. Or to destroy other people. I think usually when people are destructive or oppressive, it's a perversion of something that they believe, and they've just it's got twisted up inside them somehow. They, they take a snippet and they say, this proves my point. Right, right. Anytime you take something and bend it to, to hurt somebody else, I think that's where the danger and the evil comes from. So there's a quote in one of the interviews that Claremont says that unfortunately this story has become more relevant than ever. It has. And I think it's true that in, in light of all the progress that we've 
made in society, as a society and tried to make. And this story is still very meaningful and then we still have these same problems. You can plug in any number of groups, for yeah. instance, and any number of problems in our society. We still have racism, yes. uh, xenophobia, homophobia, intolerance towards other religions. You know, we have, we have Christians that hate Muslims and Muslims that hate Christians. And well, and you have Christians that hate certain denominations of Christians. <laughs> yes. I mean. Yeah, you have infighting among different religions. And yeah, you see, I don't know. I just, I think the idea of someone leading a crusade against a certain people group, you have, in other countries, you have genocide. It's just, this book still means so much and I think it's still so, Im- what Claremont and Anderson tried to say in this book is still so important. And it is sad that 30-something years later, it's still relevant. You'd like to think that at some point we'll grow past this, but I don't know. I I don't don't think we will. Because here's the thing. So, what, a couple decades back, it was color. You know, I feel like the big thing right now is your religion or your sexual preference. Right. You know. Because Wolverine talks about if you dehumanize someone, you take away their rights. Yeah. And we see that in this country. Well... Maybe sometimes a Muslim is arrested and not given due process. Right. Or, you know, we want to deny homosexuals the right to, you know, a normal marriage that everybody else is given the right to. If you look at where we've come from and where we are right now, we haven't really taken that big of a step. <laughs> it's like a baby step. We need like a I, couple more steps. Yeah, you know, I'm, I, want, I, I believe in mankind. I believe in my fellow man. And I, I like to think that you, just, you have to make progress one person at a time. And I think, yes. I think there's enough people trying to make progress that, you know, I don't know, can we ever defeat the evil in the world? I, I don't know. No. But we should never stop trying. Well, let's get a little less serious for a minute. Sorry. And then, no, 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 that's fine. And then we'll come back to some more serious stuff. Okay. So, interestingly enough, this story, and I kind of struggled with when to do this episode. Okay. I'm glad we ended up doing it for the birthday podcast. Happy birthday to us. I think why it's a little serious and a little somber, it's, it's such a big, important story. That why not celebrate an important episode with it? You know, we've been on two years, and it's a big deal, and this is a big story. Um, it's interesting, though, because part of, part of the reason that it's hard to figure out where to put this in, in the order of our flashback episodes is you kind of just have to take a best guess. And, and Claremont never intended for this to be part of the regular continuity. So this was sort of like a bonus story. It was, he calls it an evergreen story, that at any point in the X-Men's life, this story applies and the themes and this theme definitely like almost immediately moves into the main title and becomes a big theme of the x-men kind of representing like we said marginalized groups of society but the story itself was not meant to fall in any particular place i think that helps with kind of the timeless feel right of it in fact i didn't realize it was only recently like in the last decade or so that it was kind of brought into canon. Oh, really? And that Stryker was brought back into the regular comics. Because huh. Claremont intended for him to never be used again. Really? Yeah. But his original intent was that Stryker would be the villain for this piece and then go away. A one and done. Yeah, and almost to kind of say that that's the optimism that, that he could be defeated. That right. That this, 
this force of, of hatred and oppression can be beaten. Whether, you know, whether realistically it can or not, it makes for a good story to, to give us the hope right. that we can overcome that. But anyway, so I put it here kind of in between because I felt like I wanted to do it before we got to the Wolverine miniseries. And then because it was out of time and because we're actually going to skip a few issues of Uncanny because Wolverine's not in them. But at that point is where Kitty debuts her costume uh. and, and such. So I felt like it had to be somewhere in there. So I just thought this was a good time. And since the anniversary episode came up, I thought, oh, let's do it now. So that's why we kind of decided to do it. Also wanted to point out, because um, I didn't know this until this last read and doing some research. Originally, the artist on this book was going to be comics legend Neil Adams, who is one of my favorite artists of all time. Uh-huh. And... When I look, they actually include in the back the he did four or five pages before he quit the book. Uh-huh. And while they're very different, they're very awesome. But Neil Adams is always awesome. At least most of the time. And his Wolverine is pretty great. So I'm kind of sad we missed out on that, but it would have definitely been a different tone. And I think Anderson's art being equally as great it's almost more fitting to what Claremont was trying to do. I will say this is definitely uh, Anderson's launch pad. It's kind of cemented him as a great artist. Whereas before, he was, I mean, he was good before, but he wasn't really like top of the list. And it's interesting because after this, instead of using this to become like a main X-Men artist or a main Marvel artist, he used this to kind of jumpstart his career and went indie back before indie was really cool. You know, not everybody wants to do image stuff or creator-owned. Right. Uh, he did it back in the 80s, so that was interesting. Yeah, so anything else you want to say about the comic itself before we kind of move on to some reflections? No. I'm okay. Well, I put out there on Facebook and Twitter and at the end of the last episode for people to send their thoughts, and um, only one person did. Oh. <laughs> It's uh, Pat Gunter, one of our oldest listeners. Not old like he's an old man, but he's been listening since the beginning almost. Go, Pat. Yeah, so Pat says, The thing that stuck out to me was a scene with the cars on the street and how gritty it felt, very adult and real. But yeah, thanks. so thank you, Pat, for submitting that. As always, I appreciate the feedback. And thank you for participating and your comments are spot on. The car crash scenes are incredibly awesome. They are. Especially the way they flow across the page. And the uh, colors. The layout and the colors. Yeah, just everything about it is great. Yeah, and just, it is, it is it's an adult X-Men book. I think that's another reason I didn't really read it as a kid. Is because I don't, honestly, I think the art at that point in my life would not have appealed to me. Really? Well, I was, I was reading comic books. I was reading G.I. Joe and just getting into X-Men. And you have, like, you know, Jim Lee and Mark Silvestri and all the classic comic book artists. And I don't know. I just, I think this would have looked too weird to me back then. Good thing you read it when you were older. Yeah, I know, right? Because now I love it. But yes, it did look very real and gritty and adult. And 
I agree with that 100%. I'm also going to steal a quote. Who are you stealing from? From Daniel Cole, who's a, a friend of mine on Twitter, has a podcast called the Intercomics Podcast that everybody should listen to. It's another great, uh, they can just cover comics in general, do the whole gambit. And they always He's do, a busy man. They always do their best and worst comic every week, and I always love listening to that. And just they're, they're, It's just a great show. Anyway, they actually recently did an X-Men episode when Days of Future Past came out. Uh-huh. And they talked about God, man, or God, man, love, kill. Um, <laughs> God loves, man, kills on their X-Men episode for a little bit. He said something that I thought, I've heard variations of this about other things. But I thought it was really striking what he said. He said about God loves, man, kills. He said, it taught me how horrific people can be and how heroic they can be in the face of that horror. So both sides. I I thought it was just a great summary of kind of what the book means because it does show you how just how much evil and how horrible people can be in Stryker and the Purifiers Mm -hmm. and just how can anybody use something that's supposed to be good and uplifting and use it to try to destroy somebody else. And that, that to me is kind of the worst kind of evil. Yeah. Yeah, it's it reminds me of the uh, it's a famous quote from Shakespeare and it says, show me a hero and I will show you a tragedy. Right. But then on on the flip side of his statement that Daniel Cole said, um, how you look at the X-Men and especially I think Cyclops at the end where he just really speaks from the heart to Stryker and they don't necessarily they don't defeat Stryker with physical force. I mean, he ends up being shot, but not by the X-Men. But they do. They stand very tall at the end of the book and throughout the yeah. book. And they do. It shows that even in the face of horror, you can find true heroes. Or maybe maybe true or like you said, going back to Shakespeare, maybe because of the face of horror, you find true heroes. Yeah. Anyway, I, I thought that was just a great statement. And Well, and what I love about this book is throughout it, you know, you have those random people that go, this dude's scary. Which in any situation with any race or whatever there's always going to be one person that goes i don't i don't agree with this right and it's and you can think that on the inside but the amount of courage that it takes to say no i don't agree with this and i'm going to stand up well that made me think of and one thing that, that you can raise your glass high and toast your fellow man and be really proud of being a human being is you see that just as much as you see all the hatred as yeah. you see during the civil rights, you had white people marching in parades with black people, yes. holding hands, supporting each other. During the women's rights movements, you had men that stood be, beside their fellow women right. and, and supported them. Now, you, know, you have interfaith groups that try yeah. to work to build common ground and to be peaceful and to, to literally coexist. You have straight people that support their homosexual brothers and sisters. Yes. And not just in, in word, but in action. Yes. Um, going to events, supporting stuff. You have groups on campus that are just all about, like, everybody being different and coming together. Yes. Um, and those those are our real-life heroes, people that aren't necessarily invested in that particular issue or don't have to. Like, it's not them. A straight person is not gay. He or she can still accept and not just accept but fight for right someone who's different not just like a superficial love right they, they fully like with their whole heart love their fellow man enough to say i'm going to fight for you right i'm going to stand up for you and yeah. I, I think i think those people on 
on every side of any cause, whatever, when you stand up for somebody that's different than you, is a fight that maybe some people would say, oh, it's not your fight. Right. But when you fight for it anyway, I think every time someone does that, they're a true hero. Yes. And fit into the mold of what the X-Men are trying to represent. And I guess that, to me, is why this book is so special. No, I, I 100% agree. And I, again, what I loved about this book was I think it's, you can insert this when Ethan's older and he can relate yeah. to it. And then he can give it to his kids and they'll be able to relate to it. Yeah. Because honestly, as long as there's hatred, this book is this relevant. Book will, yeah. This book will always apply. If for any reason you've never read it because you thought, oh, well, it's not in continuity. It doesn't matter. Just pick it up and read it. And it yeah. doesn't matter what point in X history you are. If you've never read the old stuff at all. So just just do yourself a favor. Pick it up. Read it. Um, see if you have any, see see what it says to you because I think it would say something to everybody. I will say if you've never read it because while Jason reread it, he had read it before. Yeah, but it had been a while, and yeah. I only read it once because I never was, I never owned it. This was my first time reading it, and it was not, I don't I don't want to scare people away when I say that it's heavy. Not, it is it's, heavy. The themes are heavy, but it's not told in an overbearing way. No, it's not. But for me, like in my slightly, I guess, empath, would it be in my empathic way? My yeah. empathy. Right. Yeah. Empathic. Yeah. It, I got halfway through the book and I had to stop. Like it hurt. It moved me to see these people, the things that were happening in their lives. And since the very first scene is two children being killed. It, Especially as parents. That's as, particularly yes, troublesome. It, yeah. In fact, I even told you, I said, I got to stop. Like, I, I got to <laughs> read the rest of it tomorrow because it was so, I needed to, to decompress and I needed to process all the emotions that I was feeling from the first half of the book. And the second half, while I still had a lot of those same emotions because I, I did break it up over two days. It did help me handle the end a lot better. Cool. Well, um, yeah, so if you've never read it, read it. If you have read it, the offer is still open. Send in your thoughts. We can mention them on, on future episodes. Don't mind talking about this book forever. So, um, but I would particularly, if anybody's never read it and this episode inspires you to read it, I would really love to hear those thoughts from a first-time reader. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I think this book still has something to say, and if you have a soul, you'll get something out of it. <laughs> well, um, is there any question as to what we're going to grade this? I think if you give it anything less than um, a double snicked, yeah, a six out we, of six. We both give this six out of six squads. God loves man kills. Is it's just it's, if you're a fan of the medium of comic books, you have to read this. You do. You don't even have to be an X-Men fan, per se. You just It's just one of those books that... In fact, I think when I first put... When I reread it, I put a thing on Facebook or Twitter or both. I can't remember. And this is one of those books that transcends the medium. It does. Right? This is so much more than just a comic book. Well, it. you know, when I read it, it actually reminded me of like... <laughs> this is a bad example, but Moby Dick or Emily Dickinson. It doesn't matter what time period it's written in. We, you can read it and relate to it's it. It's universal, yeah. Yeah. Universal themes, universal struggles. Everybody can relate. Yep. All right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna put a cap in it there. We've we've um, blubbered enough about God loves man kills. 
So I don't know what will be next. We'll, we'll get to it when we get to it. Something will be right around the corner. So uh, still have Denise's uh, link. Marathon. Yeah, for her marathon uh, fundraising for Live Strong. It'll be in the show notes on the webpage, which is uh, snickcast.podbean.com. Uh, you can leave an iTunes review, like the Facebook page. Twitter is at snickcast. We're over 100 followers now, so thank you. Sweet. Um, Y'all can cheer me on because in like, what, two months I'm going to run the marathon? Yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's all our, our plugs. So until next time, love and hugs and snakes. Bye. Bye.